reading, uh, please open your Bibles at Exodus chapter 2. I first heard this story I'm going to read nearly 70 years ago. I can remember clearly the day uh, a lady named Miss Brown came to our school and uh, she told me this story. And she did it with those, one of those felt boards. And I was so fascinated as a little five-year-old boy uh, seeing these things stick to the felt board as she told this story. And that's the story I'm going to share with you now. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child... She hid him for three months, but when she she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So good to see you guys. It's so good to be here. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to come. This is really, I, honestly, this is quite, I forgot how special this would be for me to preach in the first place that I started out. It just means so much to me to have you here and the smiles on your faces are just really warming my heart today, so thank you. I really loved what John, um, I just felt moved by what John just prayed and I thought he'd finish the song so I came up and I'm like, oh, we're still going, right? And, and John just prayed in the middle there um, that... Uh, something that I, I felt as well when I was sitting there, I was like, people are singing this song in different ways. Some people are singing that song thinking, this is a great time in life and uh, all the blessings I, I, I praise you with. And some of you, are, I could see some of you had tears in your eyes, some of you were finding things, reflecting on hard times you've had. And here's the thing I want to say today is this, that um, I have no, so I have no idea uh, who most of you are, Right? I have no idea what kind of weeks you've had. I have no idea what kind of life you've had. But today I want to tell you this, that God does. And today, He has a reason for you being here. What's the reason? The reason is this. The reason why He wants you to be here is He wants to open up His Word. And as His Word is open, I want to ask you a question Baps, do you, this is a genuine question I want to ask you here. Do you believe that as God's Word is open, do you believe that as His words go out today and are pressed home by His Spirit into your hearts, that, that, that do you expect that He will change you? That's a heavy question, isn't it? I, 
I think sometimes we kind of just come along to church and we forget this is the very words of God we have. This is the same God who created the universe who wants to speak to you today, particularly in your situation, exactly where you're at. He knows you. He knows exactly where you're at. And he wants the word to speak to your heart today. Are you ready for that? That's extraordinary, isn't it? This is not just go to church because we go to church and hear a talk. This is God wanting to speak to you today. He knew which seat you were going to sit on today. Maybe some of you sit on the same seat every week, but anyway. He knew exactly which, so he knows how many hairs are on your head. And that's the same God who wants to speak to today. So you looking forward to that? I just think it's going to be so great to see what God's got in store. You know, I'm praying, actually I'll just tell you very quickly, at the start today, just before we began, my eldest son Reuben, uh, he's seven, he ran to the front, he was so, I came earlier today, he ran to the front, gave me a big hug, and he could tell I was a bit nervous, right? And he said, why are you nervous, Daddy? You do this all the time. Speaking, that is. And I said, oh, you know, this is the, I, was, I said, I was like your age when I was here. It feels like, you know, I've come back to like a home, my hometown, right? And he said, oh, and it was so beautiful. He said, oh, I'll pray for you. I said, now? He goes, yeah, now, now. So it was cute. He, he hugged me and he uh, laid his hands on me, which was really nice. And little seven-year-old, he prayed, um, uh, the exact prayer was this. He saw my notes. I was holding onto my notes quite tightly. He said, dear God, I pray that daddy won't trust in his notes. I'm like, that's a nice prayer. But that he, the next sentence was nice, but that he would trust in you. And the next line was beautiful because he prayed for all of you guys. He said, I pray that God would speak to everyone today. Amen. And he ran off. Is that your prayer? It's mine. That God would speak to every one of you today. And I'm not going to trust my notes. I'm going to trust in the Lord and I'm going to hopefully go to the background. While God gets out and does his ministry. You ready, Penobat? We're about to get into the best book ever, just quietly. Exodus. It's like basically what the Gospels are to the New Testament. I think Exodus is to the Old Testament. Right? It's the Gospels of the Old Testament. And each time, if I'm ever invited back to preach, I'm just going to keep working through Exodus. All right? So we'll see how we go. So I'm going to pray now. Let's, are you ready? Let's ask God to speak. Let's go. And he can do it. Father God, we pray that you would please do your work today. Father, you have made this church such a wonderful place. I've benefited so much from ministry between these walls. So have all the people here. And that ministry has all been from you. And so why would we expect any different today? That as we open up your word, why would we expect anything but you to speak to us? Your word is not dead. Your word is living and active. And so, Father, I pray that today you would move me to the background and that just as we all, that you would answer little Reuben's prayer, that you would speak to us. Father, we pray expectantly for that. I, I pray that not one person would leave here without having been changed by you and your word. Please give me the words to say. And a trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, like two days time, uh, we're going on a big family holiday. And I mean like this has been a this has been planned for a long time with a lot of hours going into it. My wife and I and all four kids and mum and dad are all going to Malaysia and Singapore. 
Three weeks, right? We are going to go. It's like mum and dad haven't seen us enough lately, so they want to have no. no. So we're going to go on a holiday with these guys, and it's going to be chaos. It's going to be humid and hot, but it's going to be amazing, right? So we have planned this. I'm telling you, we have had family meetings late to like one in the morning with Naomi, me, mum, and dad, and we're up trying to plan the itinerary, having as many family arguments as we possibly can about what we should be doing, where we should be going, what do we do, right? Dad normally falls asleep in those meetings. We're like, we're like, what do you think, dad? He's snoring, but you know, here's what we're going to do. We are so excited. This is going to happen. We cannot wait, and everything's got to be ready. We've got to have it all there. So one thing you need to do, right, when you've got kids, is when you travel, obviously, when they're young, you've got to, you've got to get them a passport, quite young, right? And so for them to travel, and you know, all of you probably applied for a passport before. You can't just rock up and go, can I have a passport now, right? Passports take about three weeks to turn around. You've got to say, say at least three weeks, go to the post office. So what we did, we're very careful. We planned it really well, and because Alyssa's the only one, our baby doesn't have a passport, so we went to the post office, we got the passport application in, right on time, three weeks in, the passport's come in, we're feeling happy, we're organized, we're great. Because you don't want anything to happen where you don't have a passport, let me tell you what happened. Friday night, Friday night, this is two nights ago, late at night, mum says, yells up and says, look, I'm working on something with the flights to kind of pick something, blah, 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 with the flights. Uh, I need all your passport numbers. So we said, sure, sure, here are the four kids' numbers, uh, passports. And so Naomi and I look for our passports. And we look in the drawer where the passports are. No passports. We look at each other and we think, this is a problem. It's Friday night, remember? So no business hours, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, we leave on Tuesday morning. No passports. We look everywhere in the house. We have turned the house upside down and we start freaking out. And I'm telling you, we've been going for ages, looking everywhere, no passports. So uh, this is, we've, we've realized something has happened. We are going, what is going on? And we're thinking, we're planning, we're like, when was the last time you saw the passport? When was the last time you saw the passport? And Naomi's like, the last time we saw the passport was when we went to the post office four weeks ago to do the application with our passports. They're not there. Everyone freaks out. Chong family crisis, right? Chong family meltdown. We're all freaking out. We don't know what to do. And interestingly, in that moment, everything is caving in because we want to go on this holiday and we've lost our passport. So we've given up. We actually go to bed. We said, this is it. We've lost our passport. Everyone's freaking out. How do you think I'm feeling right now? I'm stressed out, man, right? I am totally stressed out. So interesting, the response of the family. I'll take you through it. Me, right? I'm stressed out. I'm freaking out. I'm, um, I told, I've told mum, Mom, change the flights. We can't do it. We can't go, right? And I'm on Google and I'm Googling, how do you get a passport emergency? Emer- apparently, the, clo- the quickest you can get a passport in an emergency is about three days turnaround, right? Three business days, gone, right? We're, not, we're in trouble. We don't know what to do. I go to mom. Mom's sitting there in the computer looking depressed like this. And I say, mom, we can't do it. What are we going to do? Mom says, all right. Mom starts looking at different flights, but she, what she does, she texts the whole prayer group. Prayer group, pray. We've lost the passports. So some of you got the text message, I know. Thank you. So you know what happens? I walk past dad. Dad's got no word. He can't even speak. He's walking around like this. He's walking around like this. And then he goes into his room, the spare room, shuts the door. And I'm like, what's he thinking? As I walk past, I'm a bit naughty. I listen. And I hear dad go, oh, Lord. <laughs> Please, I heard him plead with the God. With God, he has nothing to do with please. I went upstairs to Naomi, and Naomi and I are pretty agitated. I'm saying, Naomi, how could this? I'm pretty sure you were holding the passport. Oh, bad move, bad move. No, uh, 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 don't do that, right? Bad move. And Naomi, you know what? Very calmly, she's there. You know what she's doing? She's reading a Bible, 
and I'm fit for her. I had the nerve to say, what are you reading your Bible for? We're going to go look for the passports. And you know what? She looks at me very calmly and she says, I'm pretty sure God's got this in control. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was how we felt. The Chong family in Total Cross went to bed, no passports. Woke up Saturday morning, no passports. I woke up, I rang the post office. And the post office guy, Indian man, gets up on the phone, and I say, I tell him my story, we've lost the passports, we're leaving on Tuesday, and all he says is this, you're in very big trouble, <laughs> you're in very big trouble, and I say, I know I'm in trouble, but where are my passports, he says, I'm sorry, we haven't, I'm sorry, we haven't seen the passports, right, so no passport there, I give up, I ring the centre management of Westfield, and I say, look, this is a disaster, I, just in case, four weeks ago, we were in Westfield, trying to get passports, we had a folder with Alyssa's birth certificate in it, and two passports, right, the lady says, look, very unlikely, I'll have a look, and she's on the phone, I'm there, and I'm praying, God, please, miracle is what we need right now. There's a pause, and she says, are you still there? I'm like, yes, and she says, you are not going to believe this. I'm holding them right now. She says, they've been sitting there for four weeks in Westfield. <laughs> Someone's been holding it all, you know what? In that moment when control is out the window and when you've gone, I can't do anything here. Nothing that I can do can fix this. The responses are interesting. The responses are interesting. Because here's the question. The question is, what are you going to do when you are not in control? And the question is, not when you're not in control. All of the time you're not in control. The question is this, what are you going to do? Obviously, personal message for me, so that's why I'm particularly passionate. What are you going to do when you have hard times? Sure, the passport's a thing, it's decent size, but it's not the end of the world, it's a holiday. What are you going to do when hard times come? What is going to be your response? You know, when we jump into Exodus chapter 2, we're not jumping into just what you could call a hard time. Forget losing your passports. We wouldn't even call this a tough time. I'm going to kind of bring the mood right down, if you don't mind, and help you realize that when we jump, have a look, when you jump into Exodus chapter 2, I'll tell you what you jump into. You jump into a scene that is absolutely horrific. You're actually jumping into a scene that is more like, not a tough time, I'm just going to call it for what it is, is you're jumping into a scene of genocide. You're jumping into a scene of genocide. I want you to imagine the scene, and I want you to feel the story today, Penobabs. As we get into this passage of Exodus chapter 2, you are jumping into what? You are jumping into a scene where you, uh, can you hear it? Can you hear the wails? The, the cries? The screams? Can you hear the fear in the houses? As, look, I just don't know how to, I can't soften this, as Young boys are ripped out of their mother's arms and thrown into a river. This is a horrendous time in Scripture, in history. There is fear in the houses. You know, it's interesting because in um, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Pharaoh then commanded all these people, you must throw how many? Every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every what? Daughter live. It's interesting. There's a little bit of, there's a whole lot of irony in this, in Exodus. It's a whole, to summarize, it's all God versus Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, every boy to the Nile, let the girls live. Girls will be fine. All right? 
Interestingly, this whole passage is carried by girls. That is, you'll see soon Moses' sister, uh, etc. The girls carry this through. You know, let me tell you what happens next. This, in, this, in such troubled times in the start of chapter 2, have a look. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. I don't know why you'd even get married in this time. But in such troubled times, a couple dare to get married. And worse than that, they fall pregnant. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. I want you to imagine how she's going in her pregnancy. As she gets bigger and bigger and she gets closer to the time of her birth, you've got to imagine what it's like. Like people, you've got to imagine the scene around her. You know, people are bashing in the houses. Officials are coming, coming in, busting in doors, tearing the boys away from their mothers. You know, there's probably bribing going on, I guess. People are like, well, why don't you tell us when this person's born, you know, and then I can get in there and take their boy. Over and over this is happening. Can you imagine what their prayers are like? I mean, they were, I mean, they were praying and praying that this is a girl, right? Surely. So we got four kids, right? I'll be honest with you, right? We had the first kid, boy. Second kid, boy. Naomi gets pregnant. Third kid. I was begging God for a girl, right? I was like, God, I mean, I like all boys. I like boys and girls. I was like, God, please. I would really very much like a girl, please, God. I mean, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. I mean, do I need to move with Jeff and Beth Dillon? I'll go there, man. Where do you want me to go? Right? Just give me a girl, right? What do I need to do? You know, here's the thing. And we got a girl, which we're very, very thankful. You don't talk to God like that, by the way. But but, uh, here's the deal. Can you imagine what their prayers were like? You know, that joyous line that you see in the movie, it's a boy. That line now has terrible ramifications. And can you imagine the horror at the place when there should be so much joy when this, when this woman, Jochebed, when she gives birth and out comes a boy. And you hear the words, not it's a boy. You hear the words, it's a boy. And you imagine the horror in that. You know, verse 2 is a fascinating verse. You want to go a little bit deep here. This is interesting. The woman became, have a look. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to the son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. You know, you know this word there in the Hebrew is really interesting. If you want to kind of get a bit deep with me, come, come with me. You know, um, when it says she saw that he was beautiful, you know what that word actually in the Hebrew says? It says, and he saw, and they saw that it was good. Ever heard of that phrase before? You know, Exodus is part of one book. It's actually one part of one book called the Pentateuch. And Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all one book. And so actually the same author's written this, and the same idea is there. In Genesis, when God says, and he saw that it was what? Good. God is saying, I'm creating a new thing, a new face. And so what's happening here through these words, God is saying here that he's creating a new face for his people. A new thing is about to happen here. And can you pick back at the story? Can you imagine in verse 3, you see, she's been, she tries to hide him for three months, but when she could no longer hide him, when she could no longer hide him, can you, I mean, have you ever thought about what it would like to hide a three-month-old baby? And like, shh, shh. Anyone, who's, who's ever had a three-month-old baby before? Ready? Hand up, right? Quiet or noisy? Noisy, right? Noisy baby. And can you imagine trying to hide a three-month-old baby? But nothing beats this moment. When she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. And she placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile and gave a push. 
I'm a dad, not a mum. I reckon mums must feel this even more. This part of the story is, in my opinion, unimaginable. Can you imagine what it would be like for a mum? It would go against every natural instinct in her body to push that basket out. Mums, not if you agree. This is impossible. What is going on? First to put the baby in the basket and just think about what it takes for her to push that basket out into the river. You know what's going on here? There's so much irony in this passage. It's beautiful. If you love the Old Testament, you're going to start seeing all these cool things. You know, Pharaoh has said, throw all the babies in the Nile. So what happens? In a creative act of disobedience, I'm calling it. Ironically, this baby is thrown into the Nile. You see, God, all the way through this passage, is humoring us. You think Pharaoh's in charge? God is totally in charge of what is going on. Now, change eyes. You've been in the, in the mum's head. I can see how painful that would be. I can see you're in, those, in her place. What would it be like being her sister? His sister. Verse 4, look at this. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen. Can you imagine looking through the sister? Anyone know the sister's name? Miriam. And so, can you imagine being Miriam, little Miriam, watching this basket go down the river? I mean, seriously. Do you understand? We're talking about the Nile River here. This is not like a little stream. This is a serious river. We're talking hippos, crocodiles, right? This is not a safe river. And if that's not bad enough, can you imagine the little girl would be there watching this basket go out into the river, and she would be there thinking, what is going to happen? Is a croc going to get it? Well, will he be found? Worse than that, if he's going to be found, who's going to find him? I mean, hope, maybe he won't be found. Maybe he'll just get right out of Egypt. Who knows what's going to happen? She's watching and she's watching and she's watching the basket. And she's like, who's going to see this basket? Hopefully no one will see him. Oh no, someone's seen the basket. And she looks and to her horror, it's not just anyone who's seen the basket. Who is it? It's the daughter of the man who's trying to kill all the babies. It could not get possibly possibly worse. And so what happens in verse 5, the Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank and seeing the basket among the reeds, she sent her slave girl to get it. And when she opened it, she what? She saw the child. She heard the child, a little boy crying, and she felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. You know, the order of the words there in the Hebrew in the original language is really fascinating. Um, I'll just kind of take you a little bit deep with this here. Do you know what happens, what's going on here? The order of the words is fascinating. That the, the picture of Pharaoh's daughter, what happens is she comes down, you say, she comes down, listen to this very carefully if you want to track with me, she comes down, she sees and she hears, and she has what? Compassion is the next phrase in the Hebrew, and she draws him out. Do you know what that's familiar with? Do you know why God put those order there? Do you know that's exactly, it's a little mini picture of what God is doing to his people in Egypt. If you, if, you know, if you know Exodus pretty well, you'll realize, man, that's exactly what God does. Remember, the God, God what? God came down. He heard and saw their groaning. Then what it says next? God then, he, he took compassion on them. And what did he do? Out of Egypt, I drew my son, Israel. And so what is going on here is this amazing picture. And I tell you what, Miriam, what she does next is off the chart. She is extraordinary. Put your hand up if you have an older sister. 
Hand up if you have an older sister. I tell you, you want your older sister to be like Miriam. Genius. Miriam is a total genius. She's very impressive. Not surprisingly, she's going to be a future leader of the Exodus. And you know what happens is this. The basket goes there, and then, then the fairy, because Pharaoh's picked up this boy, and she's like, what am I going to do with this boy? You know, we're going to maybe need someone to look after this boy, and Miriam's there, bam, quick as a flash, amazing young girl, man, genius, man. She just gets straight in there and says, oh, um, hi, I happen to know just the right woman who'd be great at looking after this little boy right now. She has to be ready to give milk to this little boy. That'd be great. And so in this extraordinary picture, God has set it up just so, can you believe it? The baby who only moments ago by the mother who is in poverty, right, in tears, has kissed her baby goodbye, has just pushed the baby out. Now the baby's back in her arms given to her by the one who wants to kill her child and paid for it. I can see you smiling. You're supposed to smile. You're supposed to laugh. Because this is God saying, you think Pharaoh's in control? He's saying, I am utterly and totally in control of this situation. And so what happens is, Moses' mom brings up Moses. She gets to do it to the time of weaning. The historians say that it's about four years old. And so, at about, so she has about four years with him. And at four years old, she would have brought him uh, back to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter calls him Moses and would have brought him up after that point there. This story is extraordinary. And I think there's three things this story is about. And all these things, I believe, are the reason why you're here today. I believe the reason why each of you are here today sitting on exactly the seat God wanted you to is because you need to hear three things about this passage that God wants to say to us today. And the first one is this. The first one is going to be a little bit obvious, but I hope you hear it fresh for the first time. This story is here to remind us. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be so familiar and you're going to go, oh yeah, but I want you to hear it for the first time. Ready? Listen to this. This story is firstly to remind us that God saves. That God saves. You go, yeah, I heard it. I know I'm in church. I get it. Listen. God saves. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, this is something, some of you may know this, or some of you may not. Do you know, in verse 3, have a look at verse 3, everyone. I hope your Bibles are open. Have a look at verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a what? Papyrus what? Basket. Do you know that that word basket in the Hebrew, that word there that's been translated for us as papyrus basket, that word in the Old Testament is only used there and one other place in the Old Testament for another word. Does anyone know what that is? Oh, you are sharp, man. This, listen to this. If you don't know this, this is extraordinary. The word in Hebrew, do you know what the translation is? The Hebrew word for that word basket is this. It translated ark. Ark. An ark is put in the dangerous waters of the Nile. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Anyone know any other arks put in dangerous waters? Of course, this is the same picture. This is like the Noah story in chapter, in chapter 6. You know, if you're not, if you're not convinced, uh, have a look at, um, look, I'll just take you very quickly. The ex, uh, to, 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 let me just, oh, I'll just do it fast. You see, look, what, what the mum does is this. 
she covers it with what? She covers the basket with asphalt and pitch. In Genesis chapter 6, in the Noah story, Genesis chapter 6 verse 14, you'll find out there that God tells Noah to do what? To make an ark and cover it with what? The same thing, pitch. You see, what's happening here is this. God is trying to make it unmistakable that this passage, just like he did with Noah, in saving them in a mess time by his, through a savior, God is doing exactly the same thing here. And he's saying, I'm going to make another ark. And inside this ark are going to be my plans. There's so much in here. There's so much plays on words here that you may not realize. Do you know what the word for ark is, is exact, it sounds exactly the same like in Egyptian? Because God wants to have a go at the Egyptians at this point. You know what the sound, the, the word for Egyptian, it, for ark, the, the word ark in Hebrew sounds exactly the same as the word for coffin in Egypt, in ancient Egypt. And so he's saying, oh, you think this is an instrument of death, it's an instrument of life. The same stuff that Pharaoh made God's people, um, when in their oppression, he said, all right, we're going to, um, uh, he said, there's going to be no more uh, things to make, to make your bricks. It's the same kind of word there in chapter 1, verse 13, asphalt mortar. You see, what's happening is the polemic here. What's happening is here is this. God is saying, listen, I'm in control. I am saving my people. Both these stories are stories about salvation in the midst of death. Does that sound like another story to you? Do you know any other story where in the midst of death, in the world full of death, God comes down, he sees he has compassion and he draws out. You know any other story that in the midst of chaos, a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son? You know any other stories where she puts him in a rough imitation for a bassinet? A story where a king decrees that all infant boys will be killed and a great cry grows up. You ever heard of this story? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? A story where, uh, where a great king is outsmarted not by midwives but by wise men. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? You see, in the end, this story here is about Jesus. This story is about what God has done in saving his people, and that he's done that time and time again, and he's done that in Jesus. Why do you need to hear this old news? i tell you why, Prenton Baptist. The first thing is this. Some of you here today do not know Jesus. You may have been coming along to church for ages, and you maybe today do not know what it means to be safe in Jesus as your ark. Today, you know what, if that is you, you know, I'll tell you exactly why you're here. You are here to come to know Jesus today. If that is you, come to him. Come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you about that. But the rest of you, do you know what is this? You have to remember and realize with great joy that you are someone who is saved by God. Are you someone who is saved? Has that become old news for you or are you thrilled to bits at that? Are you thrilled to bits that God has saved you? How did you get saved? I wish I could sit around and talk to each one of you. Do you see God's hand in that in every single way? You know, for me, if it wasn't for um, being at this church of Pendles Baptist, I don't think I would have stayed walking with Jesus. Because if I look back and I think, well, God's hand was in all of it. How do I even go to Pendles Baptist? Well, mum and dad came just when I was born. Well, how do they come to Pendle's Baptist? They don't even live near Pendle Hills. They're in, like, they're in Carlingford. Why, why, why not? They're not in Pendle Hills. Why did that happen? Well, not many of you know, but the reason why mum and dad came to here um, was because they had a younger brother and uh, my uncle, mum had a younger brother. My uncle 
was someone who was staying with my mum and dad just before I was born, and he was praying and praying that mum and dad would come to know Jesus from their Buddhist background. And you know what happened? One day, my uncle, not many people know this story, one day my uncle, who was praying and praying for mum and dad, but no results, to come to know Jesus, was driving on the way up to Katoomba Convention with a bunch of his mates. They crammed over, probably illegally, that many people into a car, (laughs) and a really old, bomby car, and guess where the car broke down? The car broke down there, on that corner. And they went, what are we going to do? So they knock on the church door. No one answered. They saw the number on the sign. They said that, that the, the minister lives across the road. And so you know what he did? They went over across the road, knocked on the door. The minister said, come on in. What a minister. The minister said, come on in. Just stay the night here. Go to Katoomba Convention tomorrow. I don't know you guys. You're probably, hopefully you're not serial killers, but come and jump in my house. And he said, come on, that's hospitality for you. They go and stay there. Guess what? Over the nighttime chapters, they're all sleeping on the floor. The minister talks to them. And he says, you know what? I've got a brother and sister. And I really want them to come to the Lord. You know what the minister does? He says, all right, I'm on it. The minister sends the visitation pastor to mum and dad's house. Mum and dad politely go, oh, well, that's um, nice. Thank you so much for coming. The visitation pastor suggests, look, we've got a youth, young adults group that are meeting. We're wondering whether we can have it at your house. <laughs> wow, that's game, man. That is game, and a polite Asians like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Inside, they're like, no way, right? Sure, sure. They come there, they meet there, they come to know Jesus the rest of history. I get grown up in a Christian home, I become a Christian, I get baptized here in this building, and all because God knew every time of the way that he was going to have a car breakdown on that, pe- on that road right there. Because he had decided all that. What's your story? It may not be spectacular, it may be quiet, whatever it is, God saved you. He decided when. You know what, Reuben, um, Jacob, Jacob asked me the other night before we went to bed at bedtime prayer, he said this, when did God decide that I would be a Christian? What would your answer be? Naomi said, read a, we read Ephesians 1, before the creation of the world. That is when God planned to save you. And so, first thing is this. This story is about salvation. Because you've got to have that big pillar in place before I start talking about what you do when you're not in control. Because you've got to know the big things. Passport's big, I guess. Compared to salvation, forget it. I'll drop my holiday any day. Are you saved? If you are, have that in your head. And remember, that's the big thing. The second thing is this. The second thing is this. The second thing is is about sovereignty, about God's control. If you look through this passage, I want you to realize this. There's actually a character missing. There's a character that we haven't mentioned all the way through Exodus chapter 2 that we read today. Do you know who it is? He's pretty important. I'll tell you who's not named. Ready? God. Where is God? God's name is not there, but here's the thing you need to know. The absence of His name is not the absence of His presence. I'm not sure when the last time was that you've watched one of those crime shows on TV. You know the ones where they, they're always, they always have a scene when there's a crime scene and the, and the de- detectives are coming in, they're dusting the place of fingerprints. You know what I'm talking about? Dust the place of fingerprints. Don't touch the scene, don't contaminate the scene. Dust the pr- place of finger- fingerprints. I want to ask you this, Peno Baps. When was the last time you stopped and you dusted your life to the fingerprints of God? And you went and you stopped and you thought, you know what? God has a reason for this and I want to see what his, fi- his fingerprints are all over this. 
except we make our world really small. And I look at the passport thing and I think, this is all about me. What has happened? Someone is going to take away my holiday and they need to pay for it. And God says, you know what? I'm giving you this to trust in you. Trust in him. I'm giving you this to trust. What is it? Have you stopped and have you thought, what is God doing? Where are his fingerprints? Why did he bring me to church today? Why did he not let me sleep in? Why am I here? What does he want me to do? Is that the way you think about your life? You see, the timing of this passage, the timing that's in this passage is extraordinary. Can you think of this? The exact time that the mother decided to push the basket out in the water is exactly the time that God moves Pharaoh's daughter to take a bath. God's going, I've got this totally in control. You know, and more than that, God's like, and so what I'm going to do is, Moses' upbringing is going to be amazing because he gets reunited with the one who loves him most in his most valuable years as an infant, where he can learn what? He can learn about who he is and who his God is, which is going to apparently become pretty important for the next rest of Exodus, right? But then he goes off to Egypt and gets the education of a king, so he knows the Egyptian courts and culture and is able to speak to Pharaoh when he needs to deliver the people, and meanwhile, we're thinking, terrible scene. How can this happen? A mummy's pushing the basket. And then God's like, I've got a big plan here. My fingerprints are all over this. Have you done this in your life? You see, Peno Bash, I'm going to tell you, it is easy to think about this like this now on a Sunday. To be totally frank, if you don't mind me saying, I don't want to be rude. I've just arrived here. But I want to say this. When you come to church on Sunday, that's easy. It's easy to think like this. You're meant to. It's easy to think. Yeah, yeah, God's in control. The question is, what happens when you wake up tomorrow morning? Do you wake up in the morning and go, what has God got in store for me today? What does he want me to do today? How does he want me to live and walk in his ways today? You see, God is everywhere in this story. And the question is, what are you telling yourself? Do you, who do you tell yourself is in control? You know, you can convince yourself of anything. You know, um, I can't remember which year it was, but there was a year that Naomi and I went on holidays to the Gold Coast. And talking about convincing yourself of anything, uh, we went on holidays and Naomi started getting sick. And she's like, oh, I'm feeling sick. I feel like vomiting. And you know what I said? I'm like, you know what? This is not fair. This is a holiday. We've just started. And I thought, you know what? The truth is, if I think about it really hard, I told myself, hmm, I'm feeling kind of sick too. So I told her, I'm feeling sick. I don't know what to I think I said, I think I said something to do with the aircon. <laughs> There's germs going around. I said, I'm, I feel like vomiting too. I'm like, I'm not letting her get all the sympathy. So we sat there and we're both feeling sick. The next day, she's still feeling sick. I'm feeling a bit better, but I thought, oh, like, I'm still feeling like vomiting. And Naomi said, oh, I'm feeling really bad. I feel like vomiting. And I thought, oh, bummer, eh? We've both got this flu. And then she takes the pregnancy test. And it came out positive, and she goes, so what about that nausea you're feeling, hey? <laughs> you see, the thing is, I could tell myself anything, I can convince myself anything. You can convince yourself that you are in control, but this is probably the rudest thing I'm going to say to you today. Ready? You are not. You are not in control. The Bible could not look any different in terms of thinking about who is in control. God sits in control of the universe. He controls all of it. You know, this is an extraordinary thing. Don't do this for too long, but imagine you were God. If you were God and your plan 
for the whole world is to save the world. If that is your plan, what would you do if you were God and you're watching this basket float down the river? I tell you what, man, if I was God, I'm a control freak, I would jump in and I'd be like, get the basket, protect the basket, right? This is really important for my plan. But you realize that at one moment in history, God's entire plan for saving the world was riding down the Nile River in a little basket. And you want to, and I'm like, I want to jump in, I want to get that and fix the basket. And God's like, you know what, it's okay, I control the currents. I can control the tides. But what about the crocodile's mouths? I, I made their mouths. And in fact, I'm moving Pharaoh's daughter right now. You see, the question is this, however frightening an experience it was for Moses, he was never safer than when he was in that basket. What are you going through? No matter how frightening a situation, no matter how hard a situation, and Naomi and I felt like we've been in one, no matter what is going on, no matter how painful it is, no matter how scary it is, you are never safer than when you are in Jesus. When you have got, know, you know God's love, you know his salvation, and you know he's in control. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all, how will he not also grant us everything? You know what? The final point is this. When you realize two big pillars that we've just talked about, I want to ask you this. Let me ask you the pillars. Here's the question. Do you believe that God has saved you? Come on, give it to me. Yes or no? Come on, let me hear it again. Do you believe God has saved you? Okay, here's the thing. Do you believe God is in control of everything? If you have the belief and you've just told me that God has saved you, it's the biggest thing that could possibly happen. And if you also believe that God is utterly in control of everything, I'll tell you what you can do with your life. You can step forward boldly in faith. You can walk boldly in faith. You know those sport games when you have the all-star games, where they pick like the best of the best, and they bring it like kind of state of origin or whatever it is, you bring the best team together, and you have the best team versus the best team? If you were to pick an all-star team from Scripture, if you want Scripture all-stars, who's in your team? Okay, Jesus, Jesus team captain, all right, okay, <laughs> Jesus team captain. After Jesus, right, I'll tell you who's in there. Look, come on. If you, if you ever have a chance, go and look at Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of faith, who makes it into the big ticket roll call of faith, right? In Hebrews 11, he says, here are the big guys, right? Here are the big guys. And you're not going to believe who's, I mean, look, I'll tell you who's in there, ready? In Hebrews chapter 11, he says, here are all the legends, legends of, le- uh, right? Jesus team captain, let me tell you who's in Hebrews 11, ready? Noah, of course he's in. Noah's in. Ready? Ready? Who else? Ready? Abraham, Right? Apparently, he's pretty important, you know, like the whole Bible turned to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, right? Abraham, let me tell you who else is in there, ready? Joseph, of course he's in. Ready? Small guy, ready? Not very important, ready? David, right? Just wrote the whole Psalms. Samuel, all the prophets. Who else is in there, ready? Ready? Hebrews 11, verse 23. Do you know who else is in there amongst Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Samuel, Moses' parents? Sorry, sorry. Yep. Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11, Moses' parents. And you're like, what? Hang on, hang on. We're talking about David. He wrote a whole book of the Bible. Moses' parents. What are they doing in there? I'll tell you why they're in there, Pentobaptists. They're in there because, as John read before, Moses' mother 
and father had real faith. When I mean real faith, I mean they had faith. Listen to me. I am convinced that, that the mother sent Miriam to watch the basket, not because she was going to be like, why she wouldn't go and send her little girl to go and watch this basket be eaten up by a crocodile? I mean, talk about scarring your child. What is she doing? I'm absolutely convinced. She's like saying, when she says to go and see what's watched, go and watch. She's like, I don't believe the child's going to murder, be murdered. I believe God's plan is in this. Go and watch and see. Go, Miriam, go and see what's going to happen. You see, I know that Moses' mum is a mum of faith. Now, she had to give up Moses twice, once in the basket and once at four years old and give him back to the, to the, to the Egyptians. She's in this list because she shows faith in action. She knows that God's saving plan, like what you just said. She knows God is in control and it means stepping forward. I want to ask you one more time, Pentecostal, as I finish. Do you know that God saved you, yes or no? Do you know that he's in control? Then why don't you step boldly in faith? What else could you possibly, possibly want? I'll finish with this story. You know, my little daughter, my first of my two daughters, Caitlin, you know what? I'm there with her, and you know what I think about Caitlin? Let me tell you what I think about Caitlin. I love Caitlin, she is beautiful. I think she's a stunning little three-year-old. But you know what I love about Caitlin? I mean, there's something different. I love, I love my boys too, don't get me wrong. But there's something, there's something protective I have about her. Like when it comes to Katie, I, I just, I'm just, there's something about a girl. I don't know what it is. Dads, can you tell me? There's something about a girl. I just want to hold her and I want to protect her from the world. I'm like, you are never dating anybody. You know, like... I want to hold her forever, and I want to hold her close. And you know what? There's one moment that I just love. You know, she, she, when she, um, she's recently learning to swim, and there's something about her that when she gets to the edge of the water, she kind of gets right to the edge of the, of the pool, and she's a bit overconfident. So I've had to teach her, hey, 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 you don't go near water. We're dealing with serious stuff here. And she gets to the edge of the pool, and I just love this moment because I've taught her. I've said, before you ever jump into a big pool of water, I want you to ask this question. Daddy, are you ready? And it's so cute. She knows how serious this is. Every time, still now, she gets to the edge of a pool and she stands there and she's got these beautiful big eyes and she stands there and I hear this word. Daddy, are you ready? And sometimes I'm like, no, no, I'm not, you know. But sometimes I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I run over and I get into the pool. I'm jumping down here like this and she's up here like this. And she says, Daddy, are you ready? And I look up in her eyes and I see this amazing moment when I look at her and I say, okay, Katie, yes, I'm ready. And then I watch her. I just love this moment. I watch when she just jumps off freely. Like the moment I say, I'm ready, she just jumps like a ballerina into the water free from all fear. Why? I tell you why. Because she knows I love her and I would do anything to protect her. And she knows I can in that situation that I'm in control. I reckon today you need to ask your Heavenly Father, are you ready? Are you ready for me to step forward in faith? And God's going to say, ready? I created the world. 
I moved a papyrus basket. I just brought you here to church to hear about this. I saved you. I run the world. Jump boldly. I'm here. I'm ready. You can step forward boldly in faith because why? Friends, listen to me as I finish. You have a God who loves you so, so much. I wish I could grab each of you by the shoulders and look at you in the eye and say, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's that much in control, yet we still go, oh yeah, thanks, thanks for that. God's in control. He loves me, but I'm still freaked out about everything in my life. But the passports, but my exams, but my finances, but my job. And God says, am I ready? I chose you before the creation of the world. You know, John, I didn't know that kid's song was going to be on today, man. I haven't heard it since I've been at Pennon Hills Baptist myself. What does it say? Did you hear what we all clapped along and sang to? For he knows me and he loves me from before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. Our God is a great big God. Say it for me. And he what? Come on. Holds us in his. God loves you. He saved you. He's in control of the whole world. And he wants you to follow him in faith. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us and so patient with us. We totter on the edge of the swimming pool of life and we don't jump because we doubt and we forget who you are. You have saved us. You are in control of everything. And so please, Father, help us together today to step forward boldly in faith. I don't know what each situation is in this room, but you do. You know what each person here is struggling with right now, what decisions lie before them, what things scare them, what things they want to control. And I pray that they will lay that before you today. And I pray that they'll be able to sing the words of this song we're about to sing every day, that they'll be able to sing, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, Let me be singing when the evening comes. Amen.